Amen. So thankful for all of you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. We have been uh, just kind of jumping around just a little bit uh, this summer in terms of uh, series. And um, today I'm just going to do just a little standalone message uh, that I've just felt kind of uh, compelled to, uh, to speak about this morning. And so if you're going to follow me along in Scripture today, I want you to go to 1 Samuel and I'm going to read a, a long text. I didn't realize how long it was until uh, the production showed me this morning. Um, but I, I have to lay this down uh, so that we can, get, uh, we can get it right. But it's, it's about 20 verses. And um, for some of you, you haven't read 20 verses all year. So this is good for you. Okay, so uh, I'm just kidding around. First uh, Samuel chapter 9. And um, I want to uh, read this from the screen this morning. And um, this is going to be uh, verses 1 through 10. And then I'm going to skip to 15 through 21. And then I'm going to go to chapter 10 and read a little bit there. So I'm skipping around, okay? So just stay with me. This is from the NIV this morning. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abil, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphiah, of Benjamin. Glad I'm through that verse. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go back and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they went on to the district of Shalem, but the donkeys were not there. And he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. And when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there's a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us the way to take. And Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered him again, Look, he said, I have a quarter of silver, and I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us the way to take. And if someone to inquire of God, they would say, Come, let us go to the seer, because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. Good, Saul said to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. And the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him, ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people For their cry has reached me. 
And when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, he replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you, ta- you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? And Saul answered, But I'm a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel. And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? And Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? And the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy, and you will be changed into a different person. And once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, and I will surely come down to you to sacrifice, burnt offering, and fellowship offering. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. It's a big story, okay? So let me give you some context. Israel has asked God, we want a king. We don't want to follow a, bo- a box anymore. We, we want to have someone that we can tangibly go to, talk to, overrule us, govern us, and they wept out for it. They cried for it. And as you saw, God, God says, I've heard the cry of these people, and I'm going to honor them, and I'm going to give, some, I'm going to give them somebody. And so he begins to describe Saul in this text. He says, listen, this is the best-looking guy in all of Israel. Okay? And what I like about this is it says in verse 2, this is kind of funny, in the King James Version it says, from his shoulders up he was taller than all the other people. I don't know if that many had a really long neck. I don't, we, don't, we don't know. But he was really tall. He was really handsome. And so Saul is, is uh, with his father, Kish, and suddenly, and this is what makes the Bible so fun to read, suddenly there's some donkeys that go missing. And Kish, being a good father, gets his son to do the work and says, hey, Saul, come here. Go find the donkeys. Take one of the servants with you and go look. And as you see in the text, they begin to cover territory after territory after territory. No donkeys. So finally, Saul is like, after some time goes, he's like, listen, if we don't step on this, my dad is going to be more worried about you and I than he is these donkeys. We need to turn around and go back. And he says, no, wait, there's a man in this city, a servant of God, and basically he's got a gift of prophecy. And if we will talk to him, he will tell us which way to go to find these donkeys. But the Lord had already gone before them and told Samuel, tomorrow I'm bringing a guy your way. And you're going to know it when you see him. And when you see him, I want you to anoint him, make him ruler over the people. 
And then when you see what happens, he begins to talk to Saul. And Saul's like, why are you even talking to me like, like this? And he gives a familiar speech that we've heard before in Scripture. It's the same speech that Gideon gave. Lord, or I, I, don't, I don't know why you're talking to me. I am not mighty. I am the weakest person in my clan from the weakest clan. This is not something you want me to do. And let me pause right there. Because sometimes when God wants something from you, you immediately realize it's beyond your scope of, of, and skill set. And here's why the Lord does that. Because if you could do it by yourself, it's not big enough. But when you can lean into God and together do something, it puts you in this really sweet spot that you'll do everything you can and once your skill set has ended, God takes over and does the rest. Your obedience to His plan kickstarts the goodness of God. And so this is what's going on. And we've seen this theme many, many, many times in Scripture. I want you to do this. I'm not good enough. I want you to do this. I'm not smart enough. I want you to do this. I'm not strong enough. I want you to, to do this. I don't have enough resources to get it done. And God is constantly trying to tell his people, with me, all things are possible. That's a big theme in Scripture. You're right. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough resource. But with me, all things are possible. Okay, now here's what, what we know about this starting off. And this is going to be the first point I want to make today. The potential of a seed is unknown to us. God is able to look into every seed and every point of potential and know its maximum capacity. You and I see something and we have no clue what that thing can become. We know from the first two verses that we, we read, it said that Saul's father's name was Kish and he was a man of power. This is a guy of authority. He's got it together. People know him. He's networked. And he's got this son. So Saul's coming from good stock, if you want to say that. His dad is somebody. People know his family. He's handsome. The Bible says that he's choice. Okay? And then he's also tall or has a very, very elongated neck. We don't know which one. We have no idea the potential that was in Saul. And like I just explained, even Saul does not know his own potential. He knows who his father is. He may even know he's good looking because people probably tell him. But he doesn't see what he's completely capable of. And unfortunately, this follows through his kingship. He doesn't know fully what he's capable of taking care of. When we look at our children, we don't even know the potential that, that they, they carry. We have no idea what that person beside you this morning has inside of them. No idea. And here's the good news. That's okay because God knows. He's able to look at the potential of every seed and it's not mysterious to him. He even told Isaiah, while you were in the womb, I knew you. I saw you from afar off and I drew you near. 
I, I, I can see your life from beginning to end. I'm not trapped by your frame of mind. I look on you and I know exactly what you're capable of doing. And it's my job as your heavenly father to pull that out of you. To give you the greatest life you can possibly have in this existence. And I'm going to pull it out of you. I want you to think about the people of Hebrews chapter 11. This is a, is, is a, is a faith chapter. We, we look at it because these people are full of amazing feats. But listen, it says, By faith Enoch, and by faith Noah, and by faith Abraham, and by faith Sarah, which is only one of two women mentioned in this. Rahab is the other one. By faith Isaac, and by faith Jacob, and by faith Joseph, and by faith Moses, and by faith Rahab. And then, he, and then he says in Hebrews eleven thirty two, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched fire, escaped the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the enemy. All this is done through common people that God put his hand on. He saw them, he looked on them, and at some point they believed that with God all things were possible. They felt it in, in their, their, their heart. The second thing I want to reference this morning is this. Lowliness is the new promotion. My challenge to you here is this. Go look for donkeys. Everything about our culture screams to us to exalt ourselves. Everything about it. When we post a post on Facebook, 10 out of 10 times, it's our best foot forward. We want to communicate to people that we are having the most fun. That our kids are the smartest. That our car is the coolest. That whatever we have on is awesome, and we want people to like it. We want them to affirm us. You're right. Your kids are the smartest. Your car is the coolest. And internally, we everything is about us. If you watch television, every single thing is about you. Every commercial is about you. Your teeth being whiter. Your hair being less gray, your face being less wrinkly, your waistline being, yeah. Everything is about you. The importance of you. And somehow this gets in us and it develops a root system that we are the most important person in this room. And Saul could have easily said, Dad, as important and a man of power as you are, can't you pick up your cell phone? And call somebody to get this done. Why do I have to go look for donkeys? Now stay with me. Because humility is fleeting in our culture. Lowliness. Fleeting. And it is the new promotion. And out of your spirit comes humility and lowliness 
And as you get lower, God is able to take over more property of your life. Paul called it this way. I crucify myself daily. I get up, whatever Paul wants, whatever Paul thinks, whatever Paul's perspective is, whatever Paul's philosophy, whatever Paul's post is going to be, whatever Paul wants to get done, I crucify that stuff so that you might live through me. That was Paul's thoughts. I am going to let, 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 let there be less of me. I will decrease that you might increase in me. This is not a common or an unknown problem. This is not something that is new. This is something that from the beginning of time we had a problem with. One day Cain and Abel present an offering to God. And the Lord receives Abel's offering. And Cain is like, now wait a minute. So stricken by being upset at the point of rejection and the lack of teachability that he killed his brother over it. I want to be the heart behind that. I want to be the one who is affirmed. I want to be the one who is accepted. And in our culture, we have stopped the principle of looking for donkeys. That's somebody else's job. That's somebody else's thing. I just need to, need to be served. Now listen, we bring this into our church. There are some, and I'm not trying to be harsh, I'm trying to bring a good word, but there are some who will come to church, not just ours, but across the country, and they want somebody to take care of them with five-star hospitality so they can experience. I read this last week, and I'm, I'm not knocking, I'm just saying that it's, it's existing. You guys, have, have you seen those new chairs they're putting in theaters? You know, you can go in, man, they're wide and comfortable, and they got a cup holder, and Press a little button, your feet come out. They're putting them in churches now. And they're reserving them for first-time guests. My thought would be, how long can I be a first-time guest? And then one church, I just read about this somewhere in, in, in Texas, decided after doing that for about a year to put it in every chair is like that. So you come in, hey, get my coffee, kick my feet up. I'll just... Put my arm on the armrest and worship like that. I don't even have to exert energy to worship. I just lean it over there. Sip my coffee, put my feet up. If I fall asleep on the preacher, it was a good nap, low lighting. This is awesome. My kids, somebody's taking care of my kids. And people stop looking for donkeys. They stop serving. They stop giving. Because they want to be served, catered. This experience is about me. And lowliness has to come back to the house of God. Saul, as we've already discussed, was full of potential and looking for donkeys. Handsome, choice, networked, had resource, and he was out looking for donkeys. If anyone could have stepped back and said, this is not for me, it's for somebody else, it would have been Saul. But he went, and he started doing it. Let me pause and kind of put this in our driveway for a minute. Have you ever wondered, am I in the right place? I mean, am I, am I working at the right place? Am I, with, am I living life with the right people? Am I living in the right city? 
I mean, have you ever felt like you were just doing the wrong thing? You felt like you were in a job that was beneath your ability? Have you ever felt like you were underappreciated and undervalued? Here's, here's the thing. All those things are donkeys in your life. And looking for donkeys could be what sets you up for something amazing. Embrace the seasons of your life where you are looking for donkeys. Embrace the seasons of your life where you feel like it's beneath you. Where you feel like somebody else could be doing that. Where you feel like that you could be exalt. Lift up the name of Jesus during those times. Throw your shoulders back. Lift your head up and gladly look for donkeys because God sees the full picture. Can I get an amen this morning? And so David, listen, he was full of, of potential and he was keeping sheep. And here's what a lot of us forget in Scripture, chronological order. Keep in mind, when David was anointed king over Israel to follow Saul, he was anointed with oil and all of his brothers saw it and his dad was like, man, I should have thought about him. You know what they did with David after this big celebration? He went back to keeping sheep. You would think, oh man, he's going to move into the palace. He's taking over. This is like a movie. No. Olive oil dripping off his nose, and he goes right back out to take care of sheep. Lowliness. Peter was full of potential. He's out there working on nets. mending. This is a guy that three and a half years later, his shadow is going to heal people. And he's mending a net. Moses, full of potential, about to be the largest megachurch pastor in the history of the world. Keeping sheep. And they're not even his. For his father-in-law. He's keeping sheep. Elisha, full of potential. This is a guy who's going to roll up a garment and hit water with it and it's going to part. Craziness. You know what, 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 what he's doing when we find him on, on the scene? Plowing. Farming. Now we look at some of these things and we go, you know, we, we see the end. And some of you right now are mending nets and keeping sheep and plowing fields. And you think it's beneath you, but God is working something out for your good. So hold on. Stay humble. Stay low. Look for donkeys. Embrace those seasons when it's not all perfectly put together and fits into your plan. And celebrate those moments knowing that God is not behind you. He's ahead of you. He's working something out for there. There is exaltation. In lowliness. Quickly. When we look at scripture, we see this pattern. A lot of times we, we, don't, we may read it and it goes right over our head because we're so inundated with me. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people call by my name will humble themselves. Humility, lowliness. Isaiah 40 and 31 They that wait Upon the Lord shall renew. 
wait, serve. Romans 14 and 18. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by, by men to serve Christ, to wait upon the Lord, to humble myself and pray. To get this in my character, that it's okay for me to do things that are beneath me. Third, I want to get through this today. When you are confused, do what comes naturally to you. Ask God. These men are looking for donkeys, they're struggling, they're confused, and finally they come to this thing. Let's find out what God is saying. Listen, don't be afraid to talk to God about the crazy things. Okay, I want you guys to hear this this morning. Don't be afraid to talk to God about the crazy things in your life. A lot of times we think, you know, yeah, okay, so-and-so has cancer. I think God wants to hear about this, and we'll, we'll go to God. Lord, this is a terminal issue, so we're coming to you because it's important. And then sometimes we think, you know, well, you know, here's the thing with my child. My child is in rebellion. They're not living for God. That's probably pretty important to God. I'm going to come to God about my kids or my, my, my marriage. My marriage is in trouble. We're using the D word around our house, and we're thinking about separating. I think it's time to go to God about it. We always have this category of big, but let me tell you something. The Lord believes in salvaging the simple things in your life, too. He cares about it. Because if he cares enough to make an axe head float, and he cares enough about wine at a wedding, he cares enough about where the donkeys are. And so keep in mind to be willing to talk to God about the little things and the things that you don't think are on the big list. There is in this city, verse 6, a man of God. They were looking to hear from God. And this was a ray of hope in an unwanted scenario. And he says, perhaps he can show us the way we should go. They were looking for directions, but they were about to get so much more. Fourth, don't be surprised what you hear from God when you ask him. When we finally reach this place of stopping and seeking and getting low and wanting to ask of God, Lord, tell me what to do. Tell me where I should go. In verse 15, Saul thought he was looking for donkeys, but he was about to be the king. God can turn your circumstance is what I'm trying to get across to you this morning. In your season of looking, keep looking. In your season of struggling about water to wine, you keep on doing it. When your axe head has fallen off and fallen into the Jordan River, you continue to stand on the banks and believe God for it, it to float. God can turn the situation. And so in verse 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Okay, The word there is glory or kavod, which means a weightiness of God's presence. Saul, listen. I'm going to anoint you with oil, and the weight of God is going to fall on you in a tangible way. I don't know about you, but I would love to take some of that. The weight of God can fall on you. And then he, he goes on and says, and you're going to prophesy. Now, this is a gift of, of, of the Spirit long before the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit is going to be active in you. 
And then he, he says this, and you'll be changed into another man. You're about to be transformed, have a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and, and have a gift of the Spirit on your life. That's a great spiritual day. God can do a work. And so in verse 9 it says, so it was, watch this, and I'm, I'm going to land this thing quick. So it was when he turned his back from Samuel that God gave him another heart that quick. When he turned his back, the Lord changed him in a moment. Hear me. All you need is one moment with God to change your life one moment. A lot of us in this room, we've experienced that one moment. We didn't deserve it. Maybe like Saul, we didn't even ask for it. We didn't expect it. But it happened anyway. His Holy Spirit came, changed our lives. We were derailed and broken and isolated. But in a moment, He changed our lives. In a moment of loneliness, God brought us a friend. In a moment of sickness, He brought us healing. In a moment of brokenness, He redeemed us. In a moment, He can do it. So listen, you got to stop thinking in terms of the process and start thinking in terms of the promise. Stop thinking in terms of processes and start thinking in terms of promises. In other words, what has God told you that He's going to do? Don't think that, that you're stuck for years and years and years. And don't think that you're going to be lonely for years and years and years. And don't think that you're going to be broken for years and years and years. Stop thinking in terms of processes and start thinking in terms of the promises. What has God told you He will do for you? Through His Word, through His people, through community. What has God spoke over your life? Because here's where the rubber meets the road with this. Then I'm going to pray. Some of you feel stuck, and he can change that in a moment. Some of you feel, hear me, this is very personal. Some of you feel that you're never going to find a spouse. And you feel like you are aimlessly looking for donkeys in your life. God can turn that and do something in your life. Listen, some of you single moms, you've given up hope on a godly man. That no one, no one is going to ever, it feels like no one's going to ever come along and love me and my kids. God can turn that in a moment. Some of you have prayed and prayed and prayed to have a child. And physically, you feel it's impossible. Maybe even the medical community has told you it's impossible. And as much as I love and appreciate and respect and value modern medicine and doctors, God is so much bigger than our understanding of our own bodies. And in a moment, He can change your life. Some of you feel that no one sees where you are right now. You're looking for donkeys. It's beneath you. We get it. You could be doing better things. You could be onward and upward. 
The gift on your life is huge. The intellect that you possess is impressive. And you feel like no one sees the work you put in, the effort you have, the potential that you have. And I want to come to you this morning and tell you that God sees all of it. He knew you while you were in the womb. He's got a plan and He can activate it in a moment. You keep living by faith and not by sight and be encouraged and lift your head up knowing that you are not waiting for for you to come to a greater place. But God is already in that place and He's going to turn it for you in a moment's time. In a moment. And for some of you, that's the the, the takeaway for you this morning. It's in a moment's time. You'd be willing to look for donkeys knowing that all the while God had a different plan, okay? Why don't you bow your heads with me really quick this morning. I want to pray.